Hello and welcome to another week's Ulster Rugby Roundup. Finally, with an Ulster fixture to mull over. A Saturday trip to Cardiff, that is, with me, Gareth Hanna, or Adam McKendry. Hey, guys. And Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how's it going? Were you just taking a picture of Adam there? No, that'd be really weird if yeah, it was. Well, that's, 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 right. that's why I asked. The, the way the sun's shining, like if I have my phone down flat, I can't actually see it. So I had to like, uh, okay. bring it up like that. Uh, it, it, it did look okay. very much like okay. you're trying to take a picture of me. Are we, we going to do this intro again or are we just going, going from no, here we're going with, for that. with all this that's, chat? Right, okay, let's just in. Let's, uh, let's go. Something different as well, but let's, okay. Uh, <laughs> let, let's get to the rugby. Um, well, you bring it in nicely that we're sitting in the sun because for the first time ever we have moved ourselves down the stand uh, at the Kingspan so we can sit in the sun. It's lovely. A great time of the year. Um, a great time of the year for Ireland, of course. Uh, we'll discuss that a little bit later um, there was of course the school's cup final as well and the medallion cup final uh, no, the medallion shield medallion final and um, so we have it all to talk about but of course only one place to start uh, grand slam winners 2018 what a team what a campaign what a day saturday was jonathan you were there how do you sum it all up that was very uh, very vague there how do you sum it all up it was an incredible <laughs> it was an incredible campaign from start to finish when Basically, after an hour of each game, apart from the France game, it felt like Ireland had the game won. I know Wales came back with the two tries, and then it ended dramatically with the Jacob Stockdale intercept. But the way the games went, and just the amount of possession that Ireland had, the amount of territory that Ireland had, and the amount of points that Ireland scored, because remember, like Ireland averaged 32 points a game in this tournament, which is a massive number for Test Rugby. A lot of the games were sort of devoid of drama. Like, I know you probably had your fill of the drama with 41 phases and an 82nd-minute drop goal in the first game. But after that, it was just smooth sailing, really. It was very un-Irish. And I think that's what made it feel so surreal. Like, it wasn't a let's get charged up and stuck into them and we'll give it a lash type of Ireland. It was just way better than everybody else Ireland which is a very strange it just, I don't think it sits well with our national psyche that championship Joe Smith he's altered things and it's I'm uncomfortable frankly particularly Saturday's game I suppose was like that wasn't it I mean to go away to Twickenham and to be fairly confident with about 20 minutes left that the game was basically won yeah it was really strange because I was following along with Twitter as well and you know usually you get all these people getting all hyped up you know how close it's going to be but everyone's practically already celebrating yeah. the Grand Slam being won I had, our, I had our Facebook and Twitter post written with about 10, ma- 10 minutes of the match left exactly. the Grand Slam like, that, I, was, I was able to send you match reports near enough every week on yeah, the whistle on, literally because, on the whistle because they were done mm. yeah. and it was just falling like in the end yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't we talk about how close Ireland were to losing like not having a chance at the Grand Slam after the first game one. you know no. that 41 phases how crucial that turned out to be well I mean that's yeah because yeah, that's an all time drop goal yeah. and that's before you even take into consideration the fact that it took 41 phases mm-hmm. albeit in a game that Ireland should have had won beforehand mm-hmm. but Ireland's ability to score at really crucial times during this championship has been unbelievable. Best summed up, obviously, by the drop goal, but the timing of the Jacob Stockdale try was crucial in how comfortable that game ended up feeling because 
they've just had a manner of scoring really when it counts and then you couple that with the defensive stand um, just after half time where I thought Ian Henderson was superb in that 10 minutes that's probably his best 10 minutes in an Ireland jersey like during that defensive stand just after the break and that's why that I think this has been a championship that feels more like a Joe Schmidt championship than his previous two obviously the Grand Slam as well but 2014 felt like a sort of last hurrah by that golden generation Um, you know the last game of O'Driscoll in an iron shirt and that kind of thing but this team is just pure Joe Schmidt in the way it's clinical the way it's ruthless there's a great stat that Ireland scored 31 points during this Six Nations after the clock had turned red so like scoring it scoring beyond 40 minutes in each half 31 points that's that's incredible the possession stats I already mentioned but the possession stats admittedly not on Saturday but the possession stats in every other game were up beyond 60% and they're just so controlled like it's not it's not the manic aggression of years gone by it's just nailing the preparation nailing the basics the rock work um, not particularly flashy in any way but Ireland have been so good at the rock throughout this championship and like as I say it's not flashy but it's a travesty that Dan Levy isn't getting more praise for the championship that he put together because what it's the first time that I've really had an opportunity to watch him up close five weeks in a row obviously Um <laughs> Why you laughing? Well, it's like I, I'm not going in person to Leinster games five yeah, in a row, yeah, so just, you know it's yeah. just like, all right, whatever. I just think you're funny. It's a compliment. I think you're giving me a lot of grief today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, Dan, Dan Levy, very good. A lot of people don't see it. Like I thought he was the player of the championship, and he's not even nominated for the player of the championship. This is, this is very much a New Ireland and you look at that age profile you, you said already they were so clinical they were so good at the breakdown they, you look at the age profile of this team there is that great young core coming through and I think I mention this every week but you got the likes of Stockdale Ryan is an absolute monster of a 21 year old lock um, and neither of them even know what it's like to lose in an Irish shirt exactly you know there, there's a lot of potential in this team that they're already second in the world but they've got all these guys still to completely mature yeah. into uh, what they could be and you look at Stockdale still got a bit of work on his defence Ryan maybe just needs that bit of extra little, little bit of fitness that he can play every week and play he's very very close to being there already but um, he's just got that little bit of work to do but once these guys actually reach their peak maturity in an Ireland shirt you know this team has a huge amount of potential potential to achieve um, well, what, and what, what can they achieve <laughs> if you were to sit here and say in five six seven years time what what could we be looking back at well they definitely could be going for a World Cup at some point now we've already we discussed before the podcast began that the Ireland as a team have a lot of hurdles to overcome before they can win a World Cup uh, namely getting past the quarterfinals to begin with but good start you got to do that to win the World Cup. <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a very good start but you know you look at whenever you've got 
Stockdale, um, Ryan, Furlong is still relatively young in prop terms, and he's already considered one of the best, if not the best, in the world. Like, it was Furlong's first Six Nations game at Twickenham. Yeah. It was Levy's first Six Nations... It was Levy's first time at Twickenham. Stockdale's first time at Twickenham. Rumour was his first game at Twickenham. When you think about it, all those players that Joe Schmidt has blooded now since Ireland's loss to England two years ago. And even that game was debuts for Van der Flair... Alton Delan and Stuart McCluskey so the amount of players that have been blooded since that midpoint really of the 2016 Six Nations is unbelievable Do you think they can win a World Cup? No Not at all it's hard to predict so far in the future. I don't think they'll win the 2019 World Cup yeah. now you can sit here and say in a f- like whenever it comes around to 2023 this team could be good but then you're adding so many more factors yeah. in like players coming through for other nations that we don't even know about yet so it's hard to say I don't think they'll win the 2019 World Cup because there's so many mental hurdles and um, I still think the All Blacks are a street ahead of everyone mm-hmm. um, but you've certainly got to say that they're at least putting in some great building blocks and a fantastic foundation for going forward I think in 2019 I think they'll have their best World Cup mm-hmm. I think that'll be a great way for Joe Schmidt to sign off having came into Ireland and basically knocked off all of the long-running hoodoos, if you like, the World Cup quarterfinal win being the last of them, um, having beat the All Blacks, won in South Africa. It's actually It's been a while since Ireland have won a series in the Southern Hemisphere. That's maybe another one for the summer with um, the Tour de Australia. But if you say, can this team win a World Cup, obviously they can win a World Cup. But if you're looking at it, I suppose the question that I was answering there was will they win the World Cup yeah. and it's a bit like um, it's a bit like Tiger Woods like you know 2002 if you're offered uh, the field or you're offered Tiger Woods you'll take Tiger Woods <laughs> in the way that if you're yeah. offered the field or you're offered the All Blacks you'll take the All Blacks yeah well that's fair the reason I push the World Cup so much is that I have an English friend who was giving us chip the other day that uh Ireland or Northern Ireland have never won a World Cup in anything, so I'm seeing this as a potential opportunity for next year. But they many, shut down my hopes. How many Eurovisions has England won? That's true. I, I didn't think to say that. Uh, as soon as we finish recording, I will be straight on to WhatsApp to him. <laughs> um, well, we'll hear a little bit then, as if we haven't heard enough from or about him over the last uh, six or seven weeks, but uh, here's a little bit of what the man of the moment, Jacob Stockdale, had to say after the Grand Slam success. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit strange, to be honest. Uh, you know, I was kind of met up for a call with my dad uh, this weekend, we were both just saying like, how strange it is and uh, you know how weird it is, but at the same time, you know, I've kind of gone step by step, you know, to try and get to where I am. So uh, yeah, like it's, it's a mi- mixture of emotions. It's a, like we, we've been told that the families were over in the corner, so we managed to get over there and uh, you know got a hug from mum and my dad, and my girlfriend, and uh, yeah, mum was crying, so she was. It's a bit embarrassing, but uh, <laughs> no, like it's it's brilliant to be able to share share those moments with them. Well, it nearly feels like we've uh, said everything there is to say about Jacob Stockdale, but still we have not, because on Saturday he did it. He broke the record. Um, 
it was absolutely brilliant for him and for Ulster as well, wasn't it? Great to see, um, great to see him break the record, especially in his first attempt, which is a bit, a bit strange. He admitted yeah. to you in that the uh, in that interview that we just played you from uh, from the Twickenham mix, and it was it was a really good try. Um, he was very lucky that they pushed the uh, Ingle area yeah, back yeah, by exactly. a few feet. Uh, that. Yeah, that, that was quite funny. Like, I don't know whether you could see it on TV, but you, it was very clear there that like the blue lines were so much further and Eddie Jones was asked about it afterwards and he not that he didn't take it well but he didn't really elaborate on the idea that uh, this was England making the pitch bigger and it didn't really work out for them it was a, a bit I thought it was a bit Shane Horgan-esque just with the the stretch and dot down against England that's that's what it reminded me of but um, to be first of all it was an inventive try uh, just with the chip over uh, but to be, and we use this word a lot with Jerusalem, it seemed to be that clinical because he didn't really have a sniff of the line other than that. Yeah. And like in the first half, he hadn't, the ball hadn't really came his way because we were seeing quite a lot of, certainly to start with, England had more of the ball and then in the second half, England had more of the ball than anyone's had against Ireland in this championship. And then obviously with the snow, it was hardly a day for wingers so to be that sharp having not seen much of the ball um, he said his favourite one was the Wales one of uh, of all the tries that he scored during this championship the intercept at the very end but I think that like I think that was his best one obviously he was about two inches away from getting it with a fingertip and it being a knock on instead of uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, no, I thought that, I thought that was his best yeah. you get can, some, some great photos from the uh, photographers just behind yeah, him yeah. great. you can see how much more confident he is though and that comes from what he's done recently but you remember when he first broke onto the scene as just an academy winger um, he wasn't really sure whether to back himself or not and then he finally had that one against the Dragons here where he kicked in behind and regathered for the score but you know, to be at Twickenham, to have basically nothing on and decide to chip it over the top of Mike Brown uh, and then run in onto it and score in what is his biggest test for Ireland to date. Uh, you know, the confidence is just so high and he's playing with so much uh, belief in himself and it's fantastic to see. I'd be confident if I was that good at anything too. <laughs> True. That's why you're a confident journalist. Like that. that was a comp- that was definitely definitely a compliment. <laughs> you're, you're pulling it back. <laughs> Came in off my sick bed and I'm finally getting some uh, some appreciation. <laughs> uh, can you give us a weekly update on where Jacob Stockdale is in the all-time Ireland try scoring? There are eight, 18 men at present who have scored more international tries than any uh, big names he overtook. Simon Gagan he overtook, yeah. So that's a pretty big one in terms of certainly Irish wingers that going to say we but I would uh, associate with uh... <laughs> yeah yeah probably yeah. Um, well we'll bring you more next week on where Jacob Stockdale is in the, the, the Ireland standings um, for now though we'll move on to Ulster uh, obviously they're back in action for the first time in about a month is it uh, this weekend they're away to Cardiff on Saturday afternoon quarter past three kickoff isn't that right yes yeah, past three it is uh, so we, where were we with Ulster again? What what, what does just, this mean? <laughs> we're all just really happy to go from two months of covering a winning team to, <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, to, be, to being back at this. <laughs> so so yeah, where, where, where were we? But refresh all of our memories. Um, Considerably less points ahead of Treviso than we were the last time <laughs> yeah. we talked about it. 
We're now uh, nine points behind Edinburgh in third, uh, six ahead of Benetton, who are in fifth, coming up hot in our heels for... Adam absolutely hates it when I continue to say Treviso. They're not called Treviso anymore. <laughs> I, I refuse to buy the sponsor's presser. You're simple. <laughs> I'm still sat here in Ravenhill. <laughs> so all in all, this and every Ulster fixture left now really is uh, important not to mess it up. They're but must wins. I mean, you can maybe afford to lose one, but really they're five must wins because Edinburgh... This season's going to be over mighty quick. I know, I know exactly. five of these games. <laughs> I, I mean, next, next week, possibly. I can tell you they will not win all five of these. Games. I, I don't think. I don't think they'll win all five. In fact, well, no, I just don't think they'll win all five because you look at Edinburgh's run-in. They have Connacht away, us at home, Scarlets at home, and Glasgow at home. They've got three of their last four games are at home, and that playing at home, as we've seen with Ulster, is so much better than their away form and. Then you look at Benetton coming up behind. I was going to say, you're focusing on the wrong team if we're well, looking at Edinburgh's <laughs> fixture list. The fixture list we need to be focused on is out in Italy. <laughs> and there, theirs is pretty straightforward as well, exactly. because besides besides having to go to the RDS to face Leinster, they're away to the Kings, home to the Dragons, and home to Zebra. That's about as easy as it gets in terms of a run-in, you can see them easily taking 14 or 15 points from that. I was going to say that, I mean, that's 14 points. So that has Ulster six ahead. Yeah. So Ulster need to win two games. Yeah. And with Ulster's away form, Ulster have three away games left, Cardiff this week, Edinburgh the week after, and Munster in the last game of the season. Do you win, do you see them winning any of those three? Well, they haven't no. won an well, away league game since November, yeah. so I'll say this for them: they're due. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. If, that, if that's, that's true. the only positive thing we can come up with for this week, um, that's a problem because Cardiff have won their last four. Cardiff have very quietly won four in a row because it's been quite yeah. spread out, yeah. and it's like no. they haven't had they haven't really had a sort of signature win against somebody properly good. Mm. But they have got serious momentum now. Yeah, the thing is, if, if you even take out their Anglo-Welsh Cup games, they've won their last six in a row. And you don't... I never count the Anglo-Welsh games because you're always putting out sort of your half-and-half half team. So Cardiff are on good form. They're getting guys like Willis Halaholo back. Um, Matthew Morgan's just back from injury as well. It's a side who are on an upward trajectory. And... It's the complete opposite to Ulster, who are just sort of struggling through this season, hoping they can get to the end and still be in a position where they have Champions Cup rugby for next year. You know, it's it's two completely contrasting teams, and unless the guys coming back from Ireland are going to bring a massive confidence boost with them, uh, I, I don't see where this swing in form for Ulster is going to come from. Well, are, are those guys coming back? Are they going to play? I mean, you're just out of the, the press conference, you two guys. Did we get anywhere on, on that? Are there any chance of anyone playing? I think Stockdale's going to play. Um, Henderson, to me, has played less games, having missed one through injury, came off at half time in the other one, and then came on as a sub in the other one. Yeah. So Henderson doesn't actually have that many minutes. Now, I know he played every single minute of the Champions Cup. So he had more miles on the clock than uh, some of his other lions. But, 
you'd think Henderson could play. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like the kind of game that Rory Best would be playing in to me. Like mm. he has been cleared and he is available, but it just it, it would be a surprise to me if he didn't mm. play. So we didn't get anywhere in the press conference other than that they are available then. No. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I mean, I've heard that Southdale's going to play as well, but I, I'm surprised because he's played a lot of minutes over the Six Nations. But Ulster, Ulster need him. Like, he's not signing a contract, they'll just play him every week. <laughs> <laughs> Go down the French route yeah. and just flog them until they drop. <laughs> Bang for your buck. Play him every week. Um, well, of, of those three away games then, I suppose if you think of Edinburgh and Munster, this is the best chance at winning one, really, isn't it? It's Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the most winnable. On paper. And that's why I think it's a key, a key game. And when you were looking at it a while ago, you were thinking it was a key game because... You'd still think they should beat Ospreys here. Glasgow here, to me, is a toss-up. So if you're going to win two games, it takes an awful lot of pressure off if you win this one. Got a really sort of mixed record, it feels like, in Cardiff. Like They've got they've had some strange performances there, like the one just before Saracens. And then was it two, yeah, two years ago, the game that they really should have won after Craig Gilroy scored, and then they can try to lose that late on. And then other times, like last year, last year they were in a bad run of form going into this game and then just blew them off the park. Um, I think the very start of December that was. Mm-hmm. So they've got a mixed record in this type of fixture that makes it very hard to predict how they're going to pitch up. And that, again, comes down to consistency of performance away from home. Um, I do think there's a possibility that Cardiff are side, depending on who they get back from Wales, like, in years gone by, Cardiff have had a great set of back rowers who have been on the fringes of the Welsh team, so would have played in this type of fixture. It'll be interesting to see whether the likes of Navidi and stuff come back in. And they've got Nick Williams as well. He's a handy back rower, sort of player that wouldn't go amiss around the place, you know. I know, I know. Rightly, I'm going to hate this game because we're going to see exactly what we're missing with Nick Williams big. not here. Nick yeah. Williams isn't full on big Nick Williams yeah. at this stage. Like yeah. he's been brilliant <laughs> the last couple of times I've seen him. Well, Adam, you have all your stats there. You you know everything about Ulster. Obviously, give us an educated prediction. Are they are they going to do it here? Educated prediction is I don't think they're going to do it. I d- I don't see where this upturn in form is going to come from that will get them the four points because. Ulster on the road this year have been abysmal. Like, how you can nearly lose to the Southern Kings uh, is beyond me, and that's probably a slight in the Dragons because they have now lost to the Kings. But I I don't see what is going to change this week that'll get Ulster over the line. So I I think Cardiff are going to win, and I can see Ulster getting nothing from this weekend. John, are you going along with that? Um Rather pessimistic look at this weekend. Sorry, I, I got distracted there. Um, <laughs> Are you serious? Adam said we're getting Thanks. nothing from this weekend. <laughs> Sorry, I got, dis- I got distracted. I had said Henderson's contact news would come through by lunchtime, and it's just come through now. So it's oh. eight minutes to three. I don't know whether I can still count that as lunchtime. But anyway, sure? anyway, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's done. Um, so that's good news, everyone. Henderson's yeah. staying. I'm just going to say, well, I'm just going to say it's a first on the podcast. It's not really because it's the time this goes out tomorrow night. Everyone will know already. But well, I think everyone knew for us now. I think everyone knew already anyway this morning. But um, everyone knew about best. I would say probably about two weeks ago. But Henderson was one that there was more doubt about. So um, to get the news this morning that he was staying, that's a big, uh, 
it's a big boost, I think, because if he had have left, he may as well just shut the place down, like, to be honest. <laughs> like, Especially until 2021. Henderson... To get him on three years is excellent. Henderson is the type of guy that, to me, you need to be building your team around in the sense that he is very much through the system. Like, I know he, he almost slipped through the net... <laughs> But uh, very much through the system, very much an Ulster to the core sort of guy. You can see last year, it was almost quite surprising to me last year because he seems so, not he seems so laid back, he is so laid back. Like this is the man he got a Lions call up and his first reaction was to go out and cut his grass. Like he's, he's a relaxed guy. But it surprised me last year when things weren't going well how much he was visibly hurt by it. And that, that's not a slight on him, it's just it was different to his character, if you know what I mean. And then I think when Rory Best does hang out the boots, uh, I think we were joking with Rob Herring earlier at the press conference that uh, Rob came over the great line that it better be his last contract. <laughs> <laughs> um, but whenever Rory does eventually hang up the boots, um, Henderson's the next in line to take on that mantle so if he had have left on top of everything else that's gone on this season it would have been a complete and utter disaster so yes as Adam said and I said in a much more long winded fashion that's good news everyone <laughs> lovely but are they going to win on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> we got so distracted there it was brilliant sorry no it was, it was good it was good I think whoever has more of their internationals back playing on Saturday will win so Ulster he, only have three, so they're already behind the eight ball on that one. Had, yeah, well, I'm not kind of like Gethin Jenkins. They're like, whoever has more of their international players that featured in the Six Nations on Saturday, I think will win. I'm really talking about what sort of back row, weight, or back row card to put out, because if they put out their, near enough their first choice back row, I think they'll blow Ulster away, especially on that uh, artificial track. But then Stockdale's box, they probably scored like six tries or something. <laughs> All right, well, before Johnny talks any more in circles here about two he thinks he's going to win, um, we'll cut to some... I like to cover all my bases <laughs> yes, in these predictions. So like, it's Tuesday, lads. It's very hard to predict who's going to... Like, there's a reason they don't put the betting lines out until after the teams are out. Well, touche, touche. Well, we'll let you hear a little bit of um, Rob Herring's interview then uh, that Jonathan mentioned there uh, as he looks ahead uh, to Cardiff on Saturday. The last two games we played, obviously, weren't great for us. Um, we slip down on the table now, and, and I guess you know the only thing you can do now is control what you what's in our own control, and get get to work every day and, and prep and, and start putting in those good habits, and you know pre- prepare for this this big run in for us. We we still believe we can get into the knockout stages, um, and we still believe we, we deserve to be there as a squad, and you know we believe in what we're doing and we're working hard. So ultimately, if if we, if we don't think we can get into the knockout stages, what are we doing here? You know. Um, Edinburgh winning was it last week uh, against Munster puts them up there again. But um, like I'll keep saying this, it's we can't be worrying about what other teams, what results are going, what way. Like like you say, we got five games, and it's it's how we prep for those now and, and how we show up for those. Um, it's that matters. So that's all we can control, and that's that's all we're gonna you know try and try to do. 
All right, well, as part of Adam's um, tour of all things rugby in Ulster in recent weeks, uh, you took in an Ulster A game at, at Banbridge Academy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was originally supposed to be a Banbridge Rugby Club, and then the bad weather put paid to that, so they moved it to the academy. And I actually tweeted this out. It was a good is good move because a lot of the students came up afterwards yeah. to watch it, um, and there was actually a really good crowd, so certainly that's something for them to bear in mind for the future. But... Um, yeah, Ulster Ulster A won twenty four nineteen, and there were a lot of things to be Who's positive playing? about. Who's they were playing Munster A, oh, um, and I, it was a Munster A team that had a lot of big names on it. Uh, you had the likes of Reese Marshall and uh, Calvin Nash were playing. <laughs> uh, not quite that Reese Marshall. Um, That's the only Reese Marshall for me. Anyway, continue. But, Ulster A, they're do, everything they're doing now is build up to the quarterfinal against Bedford uh, on Saturday the thirty first, and this was some this was a performance that they could really be pleased with because the pack were so on top of a Munster team that you know is renowned for being so big up front. Uh, the scrum was on song. Uh, just they were winning all the Ford collisions. Um, I noted down that Tommy O'Hagan, Clive Ross, and Greg Jones were really good. Clive Ross, Clive Ross, I think has really adapted to the Ulster A role well. And we talked so many times before about how uh, the Ulster senior players didn't want to go and play for the A team, but that that doesn't look like the case anymore because Pete Brown and Clive Ross they led from the front. Um, so there there was a lot to be pleased with because. Bar two intercept tries, which you can iron out, uh, Ulster A were very comfortable in that game, and uh, I was very impressed. So if they play like they do, or like they did there against Bedford, I mean, they will stand a very good chance of winning that game. Did, uh, did Mr. Moore make any impression? I love the way you just ghost down <laughs> your stairs and then say that as if you've been sitting here the whole time. Did you tell people I was already the toilet? No. Well, no. well you did. <laughs> you <decide>. just thought <laughs> Mr. Moore didn't even get on. Um, oh, that's a shame. Which was a shame. But um, oh, that's really very interesting. Another sub who didn't get on but was at least named on the team was uh, Graham Curtis, the brother of Angus, who plays for the, er, who is currently with Queens and is in the Ulster Academy. Um, so he's very highly rated um, and will hopefully be joining the academy next year. Yeah, apparently he's the business, and then his brother, who I tried to see like three times, only for him to be injured or go off injured. Um, in the under 20s looks now like a brilliant inside centre yeah. so having we thought there originally been a 10 when he came over so yeah. uh, there's another centre mm-hmm. fantastic never have enough of them <laughs> never have enough of them well you spoke then to head coach Willie Anderson after the game Adam I, I believe so we'll let you have a little listen as to what he thought after the game yeah, look, a lot of guys haven't played at this level and haven't played for two or three weeks, so it was great. It took us a wee while to get into the game. I thought we probably could have uh, got a couple more scores in the first half. Um, you know, we, we took our scores quite well, but we just let them back in again. And But having said that, defensive effort on the line to keep them out, that, that's it said a lot for us. You must be very proud of the forward performance against a team renowned for how they play up front. Well, it was fantastic to get a penalty try in the scrum, and our mall went very well today. I was a bit disappointed with the fact that they mauled us over, but we'll work on that for another day because we're going to play against Bedford for the next day, and they're going to be a massive pack. So, all in all, it was a very good exercise, and for me, this is the first time I think at this level, 
uh, we won against Munster, so we have to beat the provinces to get ourselves recognised in this country. Chance to get a look at some of the guys on the fringes as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, Asia and uh, a few guys come on there and they did very well. And some of the guys who, you know, uh, certainly put the shift in and uh, delighted with them. And, uh, you know, there's a great buzz in this team. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're playing for each other and they're playing for the short. And there's a bit of passion there, and that's what we want from, from an Ultraman. All in all, feeling confident going into the quarterfinal? Yeah, it'll be a tough game. It'll be a really tough game over there, but um, the guys are well up for it, and you know, they've come a long way this year, and, and we have a few guys come back from the, the, the under 20s who will probably come in as well, too, I reckon. So uh, I'm delighted. I'm delighted with the way we're going, and I, you know, it's going to be two hard weeks now of preparation for that game. Moving on then to our listener questions for this week. Uh, Adam, you had a little ask on the forums, I think, and Dave said no. Yeah. So we moved on to Twitter. Um, I, and appreciate we, his, I appreciate his bluntness. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Fair play. Fair play. As I was actually I was on LinkedIn today for some reason. I never go on it. But anyway, somebody had a big article on LinkedIn about how it takes two and a half seconds to respond to something, even if you're responding negatively. So I appreciate that. Dave has just summed that up. I appreciate really. that, it, that Dave took the time to type yeah. no. Two and a half seconds. Well done, Dave. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so we took to Twitter, and of course uh, we got a question from Donald O'Reilly, and I am proposing this week that uh, henceforth we have a new feature on the show called the Weekly Donal, um, because we basically do anyway, it's just never had a name before, that's, and they quite uh, like the name. That's a lot of pressure, though, if he has to... Uh, <laughs> he love it. Like, what happens if next week he's, he's racking his brains, and he's like, I don't know, well, I don't, like, don't have anything. Well, we'll see next week whether he can respond to pressure, so it's over to you, Donal, and it's over to you now, Adam, to read out the question, because it's too long for me to bother having written down from Twitter. <laughs> yeah, this week, yeah asks when Rory Rory Best commented that things are allowed to happen in the Ulster camp that wouldn't be accepted in the Ireland camp what do you think he meant do you think he Hendy and Stockdale will have the character to enforce better standards on and off the pitch when they return there have been two or three interviews this season that have really stuck in my mind as somebody saying something unusual um, in terms of like pressers here, not just like any injury, because that would make my job seem really sad. <laughs> like. um, so we had Sierra McCluskey saying that Ulster players, or the majority of Ulster players, don't know what Ireland are doing defensively, which is mad. And we can tie that into uh, the idea of where Jacob Stockdale has to improve his game and perhaps the struggles with. Uh, Ulster's defence at the start of the season that they were playing a completely different system to every other team in the country or it would seem but anyway that was an aside the other one obviously being Rory Best talking about how the internationals have to drive standards and that there are things that go unnoticed here that would not dream of happening in in Ireland and it's, it's interesting for a lot of reasons because you read about Joe Schmidt's camps where everything is done to the minute and, you know, people take their seats at press conferences um, at ten past one when the media release says they'll be there at ten past one and things like that. And You know, Donahoe Callan, um, the former Ireland Munster and at the minute Worcester lock, was on a podcast I was listening to recently and I can't... I can't remember what it was I think, I think it was off the ball I would credit it if I could remember it I'm pretty sure it was off the ball <laughs> they're getting the credit now where he was talking about um, how you know what 
standards an organisation puts into the preparation by things like everybody turning up wearing the same kit and things like that. And again, it's not something you would ever see in Ireland, somebody turning up in their own gear or anything like that. And it's just interesting that Best is obviously at a stage in standing in his career where he can come out and say these, these type of things. But it really does sort of catch catch your ear. And there's an argument that I would make to Donald's point about can the internationals come back in and drive standards and restore standards to where people think they need to be to be at the Ireland camp or at the same level as the Ireland camp but I think that's very difficult and the reason for that being they both or sorry the three of them now sorry um, are only going to play 10 games a year for Ulster they're going to be absent for most of pre-season until they come back in they're out for November and then they disappear after Europe and don't come back into April so it can't be solely down to your international players to drive standards and I would use the example of Leinster when Leinster turned things around yes they had this fantastic cadre of international players that were at the key to those three Heineken Cups but the standard setters on your bog standard cold November morning weren't the internationals it was Leo Cullen and Shane Jennings coming back from Leicester and that's what, so that's what you need it can't be Roy Best this is put on your shoulders as well you're the captain of Ireland you're the captain of Ulster and you have to be um, some sort of omnipresent figure that's you know watching out for a lax ball in training when he's not even there you know that's impossible so that's up to um, the other players and it's something you know the likes of when Rob Herring was captain for the air something that Rob Herring would be very good at because he is somebody who's very meticulous in his preparation and he leads by example and that kind of thing but you probably just need more players like that to have things because like I agree 100% with Donald it's like it's an insane thing to think that Ulster are running in some sort of fashion that isn't as professional as the national side. The standard of play doesn't have to be as good, but for what you want to achieve in your culture, and I hate using the word culture around sport because it always just reminds me of like England at the 2015 World Cup. We had such a great culture, but <laughs> still managed to go out in the pool stages. But like the standard and the culture of your organisation and what that means and what is allowed and what isn't allowed for there's no reason why Ulster can't have the same values that they have in Ireland camp you're never going to be as good because your provincial one of your provincial sides is never going to be better than your national side but you can set the same standards and then that's when you get onto the right track and you see Ireland we've been the benefits of it now and Ulster if it's the case that Rory Best thinks they're not hitting the same standards then it doesn't take a great stretch to uh, assume why things aren't going as well for Ulster as they are for Ireland Yeah, and then just to clarify we never really got any more on that as to what exactly Rory meant nor perhaps should we I mean if Ulster have these things to deal with probably best that uh, they are dealt with behind closed doors but we never did hear any more as to you you never went into specifics about it or anything um, well, I actually did a follow-up interview with him just 
before someone accuses us of not doing our job, like, uh, <laughs> like just did there. No, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I didn't think Roy had ever expanded on what exactly he meant. Yeah, well, I think it's not naturally assumed that somebody should have asked a follow up. Oh, well, I didn't say he didn't ask. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, sat down with Rory a while ago, and did a really well. I find it was interesting. Like, leave, it, leave it up to you as whether you thought it was interesting or but. It was just um, just between La Rochelle and Wasps, and he was talking. I asked him what he meant by that, and he was saying things like, "If a ball goes dead in training, and you can see Charles Pietai drop on it to kill the ball in training, whereas that doesn't always happen." And he went into the he went into it in more detail, saying that. I can tell when we've got a really good performance in us and I can tell oh, yeah, I, I can tell by Tuesday when we've got a really good performance in us. It's like, well, can you therefore tell when you have a really bad performance in you? Because um, this was just after the run of Connacht and Leinster at Christmas time. It's like, well, you know, we weren't really training uh, as much back then, but the obvious implication is, yes, you can, tra- you can see when the team's not there and it is things like standards and training like players not doing what Charles Pietai, he's soon to be the richest rugby player in the world, um, seeing what he does and the attitude that he brings, and you need everybody to be bringing that same thing. Okay, there you are. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you felt I was accusing you of poor journalism. It <laughs> won't happen again. I can only assume somebody else asked a silly follow-up question to something else. Moved on, probably. That, <laughs> I, I don't remember what happened, but that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Anyhow, we'll move on before I get in any more trouble um, to the school. <laughs> um, we'll move on to the Schools Cup uh, and a great year for Campbell, who beat our man 19 The two guys were at it. I took one for the team yesterday. None of the football guys are going to be listening to this. Oh, they actually had a go at me yesterday for doing too much rugby stuff, not enough football stuff. So, but they'll never listen to this, so they'll not know. That's it. Um, no, it was a certain Glenn Torn player, but we'll go. We'll not go any further, Ross Redmond. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they'll not listen to this, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, I took one for the team and went to the school's football final, which, look, I enjoyed it, but it's just not the same, is it? Did, um, so uh, anyway, Adam, that was to let you water, come here. Did I say that? Yeah, and that was when I was doing an interview. That was, I didn't know, I didn't know whether it was you. I'd just like yeah. to point out that Ross Redmond clearly follows your stu- your rugby stuff if he knows yeah, you're doing no, rugby. Read, so It was the school's um, cup semi-final, so... Oh, so he uh, should blog uh, said he was he was reading in were gonna say, was he one of our listeners that would have been well if you are Ross let us know I doubt it but you never know um, anyhow we're digressing here <laughs> the point is Campbell beat Armagh and you two were there to see it while I was not so um, deserved win for Campbell absolutely um, and they didn't stray away from what they did so well in the semi-final to win the final and that was they put in an outstanding defensive performance and that's what won up for them and they set out their stalls so early um, from the start they actually missed the kickoff, and Armagh were already basically on the 22 metre line and within about 6 or 7 phases Armagh were back on the halfway line because the Campbell line speed and the force of their hits were just so good that they were knocking them back every single time and I mean for a game that was played so much sort of in the middle of the pitch for Campbell to go ahead at half time was huge and then to keep out Armagh on a couple of occasions just in the second half everything just stemmed from that defensive performance and whenever the chances came they took them 
and that was key because they only had three or four chances and they ended up coming away with three tries that won them the game. So absolutely deserved because um, they played a really professional game. Even something as small as whenever they were under pressure, sort of under their posts, they gave away the penalty that Armagh then kicked just to relieve that pressure and then went up the other end and scored. So I was really impressed because it was a really professional performance by Campbell. Sorry, go oh, no, 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 you, you go on. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that's a really interesting point that Adam makes because the Skills Cup to me this year more than ever before feels very different because teams are so good defensively now, which wouldn't have been a thing at all. Like, um, I was interviewing a former former Ulster player recently for uh, something else, and um, he was talking about meeting Mark McCall and like reminiscing about their school days and how they basically defensive training then was uh, five minutes at the start hitting tackle bags and then it was like let's work on our attacking moves that's obviously going back a little bit longer in in scope but even over the last five years like you don't see obviously you get mismatches but you don't see like the uh, 42-33s anymore because Mm. teams have changed their focus and Campbell in their semi-final you were watching them and thinking the dam's got to break here pretty soon like yeah. they can't keep absorbing this pressure and then the longer the game went on you, you sort of realise no they're just very very well organised defensively mm-hmm. and then again Adam made the point there like Armagh had so much possession but they couldn't make any headway like for all that they for all the possession that Armagh had in that first half Campbell were so well organised that Armagh's visits to the 22 were essentially off an overthrown line-out and the kick-off. And the rest of the game was played, or sorry, the rest of the half was played pretty much between the two 10-metre lines. And it was just because, I mean, Armagh held on to the ball pretty well, but they would come again and come again and come again, but they just couldn't break through the Campbell line. Um, it's obviously a credit to Brian Robinson and uh, Neil Doak for the work that they've been able to do and getting that, getting that side organised because by all accounts they weren't a good defensive side at the start of the year uh, you know they played Armagh before they conceded four tries at home but something's obviously clicked with them since um, since Christmas and they've been a brilliant defensive side in the Schools Cup in the three games that, that we've seen Just very very quickly then Adam Time's taken on as always but whenever I go to these schools finals and we've been to the football and the hockey this year I always feel really sorry for the team that loses especially when it's school kids involved but um, difficult for Armagh who weren't weren't too far away for uh, long parts of the game yeah and I mean they, their problem was they just came up against a side that were so organised that the the gaps were so small and you could see them trying things um, both their wingers were both coming inside looking for work um, Jennings especially down this uh, right hand wing was uh, was always looking for that offload inside. Um, yeah, he's a good it, player. He is. He's he's a very good player, and it, unfortunately, it was just one of those days where things don't come off for you. Like every player has those, but there, there's a lot that they can take from this game. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
Matthew Rainey in the centre was sublime. And I mean, it's not very often that a player from a losing team is up for man of the match, but Rainey was right up there in the conversation because he was just outstanding. And there's enough there that you can say the structures are right at Armagh because they had a good game plan on the day they just came up against a side that weren't going to let them through. Yeah. Well, time's taking on, sorry, John. I let you continue last time, but... Um, thinking of, thinking <laughs> of the, put your pretty foot down, <laughs> down this time. Thinking of the uh, the standout players then, Adam mentioned there, uh, looking across the whole sort of Schools Cup this season, who, um, who are those standout players that we'll maybe see uh, moving on into uh, an Ulster team or into um, top-level rugby? Yeah, well, I mean, Adam mentioned uh, Rainey there. I haven't seen enough of him on the whole um, to know whether that was something he does all the time, but he, like, he was brilliant. Um, somebody that's impressed me every time that I've seen him, uh, Jamie McCartney from Campbell, who not that long ago was a flanker and looks like he's been playing centre forever. Like He... He would he would have been my standout from all the all the games that I've seen this season, um, certainly for me. I'm going to throw in someone from outside of the two finalists. I'm going to say Chris Larmer, who was on the wing for Methody. I watched him against Bangor in the quarterfinal and then again in the semifinal, and he has outstanding feet in that um, he can turn on a dime. He's got a brilliant step off his left. Um, and Bangor gave him far too much space in the quarterfinals and he punished them to the extent that um, every time he got the ball you just assumed that Methody were going to score um, so he's definitely someone that I was really impressed with even in the semi-final where he didn't have uh, quite as much space but um, he, he was still one of their most dangerous players and then Murr from Balamina is obviously the one that's getting all the buzz and then we have now seen him on the 18 bench for, for last week as well so he's somebody to watch out for he was outside the semi-final shoot mm, yeah. alright well congratulations to Balamina who won the medallion shield final last week and beating Campbell 10-8 uh, in that decider so moving on then to the club rugby uh, we forgot to do a game of the week last week we yeah. think um, so yeah we can't really we can't really remember what we did but anyway we didn't have one so we can't claim any um, plaudits or anything but Adam take us through the club rugby from last weekend yeah there were a few games on Saturday and Monday in Division 1B Balna Hinch came from behind to beat UL Bohemian 24-17 at Anacotti to go back above Banbridge at the top of the table Shannon are third uh, five points behind but they've still got to play a game in hand in Division 2A Queen's University got a losing bonus point from their trip to Cashel losing 21-17 at Spafield, they're now 11 points off the playoffs. And in Division 2B, Rainey's hopes of stealing the title away from Old Crescent took a massive hit as they lost 25-3 at Parsons Town against third-placed MU Barnhall, while Dungannon suffered a 21-11 loss at home to Navan. That means Rainey stays second on 57. That's now just three points ahead of Barnhall, and they're 13 points adrift of Old Crescent, who could win the title this weekend with a win at home to Dungannon, who themselves stay sixth after that loss, and they're now 10 points off the playoff spots. So, looking ahead to this weekend, in Division 1B, Balamina hosts UL Bohemians in a massive game at the bottom of the table. Balna Hinch are at home to bottom side Dolphin, and Banbridge are away at Nias. In Division 2A, City of Armagh are away to Galway Corinthians. Malone hosts Cashel, and Queen's University are at home to Highfield. Malone could win the title this weekend. 
if uh, they win and Highfield lose, so keep an eye on that as well. In Division 2B, as we said, Old Crescent could win the title if they beat Dungannon at home. Rainey are at home to Belfast Harlequins, and City of Derry could be confirmed as a 2C club next season if they lose to Scarries. And in Division 2C, Bangor are at home to Middleton, and Oma are on the road to Bechtov Rangers. Well, our game of the week this weekend, we'll not forget, um, Adam mentioned it was a massive game, Balamena against UL Bohemian. Um, they are ninth and 8th respectively in Division 1B, Dolphin Bar in America are going to uh, finish bottom. But Balamena then, they're sitting ninth on 26, Bohemian on 8th on 28. So at this stage of the season, um, it, it couldn't really be more crucial, this one. It's a huge game, but... <laughs> Yale Bohemian are in something of a false position because they have five points deducted. Mm. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're, uh, the fact that they're in, in oh, yeah. in a relegation yeah. battle, they were mid-table without yeah. that. Um, Ball and Hench obviously did their Ulster neighbours a favour there on uh, Monday, just about. Um, but Yale Bohemian still came away with the losing bonus. So um, things have got really, really tight down there. Um, so... It is a huge one, really, um, this weekend because I think it can kind of slip people's attention that you know there's only another couple of rounds of games in the All Ireland mm-hmm. League. It's not like uh, the yeah, Ulster season, which three, drags three out to the end of May. You know, we're talking about the the league being over in the middle of April here. Yeah. I mean, you know that Balmain can pull off a good result because you saw them beat Shannon and. That wasn't a fluke. They played really well that day. So they need to start producing performances like that again. And they've struggled with player availability and who they've gotten uh, from Ulster. But they need to have that belief that they can pull out another result like that. Um, And, I mean, the, the motivation is obviously going to be there. I mean, if they win this, they take a huge step towards safety. And that would be huge for them. We'll have to pick a winner then. What do we think? I'm going to pick Balamina. I'm going to give you a deciding vote, Gareth. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to say you, Bohemian, are going to come out on top. Okay. Um, I mean, Balamina, well. you know, we may have Balamina listeners. I, so have, you just, I have you Balamina just, family who I'm probably annoying right now. Yeah, <laughs> so it's unlikely we have any... Uh, the PR of the podcast is what you're thinking of, gentlemen? Yeah, well, they also, they also invite me up to their lunch. Every now and again. So, I appreciate uh, that. So, in order not to cost you a free lunch, we'll go for a Balamina. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, fingers crossed if that's right. If it is, it's been uh, entirely unscientific. But that's really on that very unprofessional note. Um, as a bottle as falls, a bottle falls down, But at least it proves we are actually where we say we are. A bottle of so, water, I hasten to add. Before, <laughs> uh, it's the wrong idea about what we're up to at 3 o'clock. I think it's best we leave it here. From Adam McKendrick. See you later, guys. Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, thanks so much. And myself, Gareth Hannon. Thanks for listening.